Hello and welcome to our Living Word Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday morning experience. Amen. How many of you are ready to hear from the Word this morning? Amen. If you missed last week, the message title for last week was Eat, Sleep, and Repeat. The whole heart of last week's message, and if you missed last week's message, feel free. I'm not sure what any of you use through technology, but maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's the app we have, maybe it's a podcast that you like. Uh, We offer them all. Feel free to subscribe to them, and you get our weekly messages through that. But just in case you missed it, I'll give you a very brief recap so that we can dive into what God has for us today as we continue to hear from what God has for us. I said it this way. We talked about how many of us live a vicious cycle of repetition. However, we often repeat unhealthy attitudes, habits, and lifestyles a lot more than the healthy ones. The whole idea could even be summarized in Proverbs 12:1 this way. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, I said it last week, so I'll say the same joke again, right? That's in the Bible. I didn't, I didn't put that there. Not my interpretation. In the NIV version, Proverbs 12:1. The reason why this is so important in the first part is even the biggest phrase, right? And that's the idea that whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. This is so important in the world today because discipline, I don't know how many of you coach, parent, or try to lead anyone under the age of 18 in this day and age, but it is becoming not just difficult, but almost impossible. I'm being honest. And I say that not sarcastically. I say that very straightforward. It is becoming such a legal issue on how we can even talk to a young person. It is becoming so complicated on how we can address one another, on what proper uh, language or or just just proper whatever you'd like to call it, properness, (laughs) right? It is so difficult. And here's the problem, right? What I love about things, and you'll get to know me after a while if you're just meeting me, I love a good challenge. I love challenges. Why? Because I always believe that there's a deeper place I can find with God. I always believe that even if I feel 99% like this is how it should be, this is the way you should raise a child, this is the way you should lead a child, this is the way you should run a company, this is the way you should teach a classroom, no matter what it is, right, I know there's that minimum, that 1% that I got to still find. There's that wisdom that I've got to actively seek after that I have not yet discovered. And now, if many of you know, it's a lot more than just 1%. For most of us, it's 90% what we got to still learn. Come on. The age part doesn't matter. But you see, there's this impartation of wisdom, and Proverbs says it so clearly, right? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But if we don't like correction, we're in trouble. And I think it's something that's plaguing us right now as adults, as leaders, and as children, because there is a really bad chemistry experiment called coming around called lawlessness. It's this fear that the adults, the leaders, those who are in authority in the room, whether in the house, the workplace, or the school classroom, there is this fear of, am I doing this right? But here's the dangerous part. The comparison is not coming from the Word of God. The comparison is coming from who's around us. And this is the danger that I have. The Bible clearly tells us that relationship is important. The Bible clearly tells us, right, that one person sharpens another. 
But the dangerous part is that if this other person, family, or group of people are not following the same Jesus you are, what they are feeding you could be very dangerous. I've never, never thought that even as I walked in my young, even younger portions of leadership, that some of the stuff from 25 to 35 that I've seen would change so quickly. That a kid in a classroom that's seven years old would look at you and say something that you don't remember a 25-year-old saying to you. Come on. We live in a different world. And if we don't start shifting, we're not going to be able to be effective leaders. You see, many of you, you're fighting the system. You're looking around and you're saying, well, that family's not doing that. Should we do it? That's not what the Bible says to do. A lot of you in your leadership opportunities are looking around and going, you know, I do that. I definitely do it better than those leaders. And I, I mean, I'll just stay right here for a little while. And I'll just kind of, can I just do this? And then what you're finding right now as leaders is that what you're leading has already surpassed you. And I think that's one of the most humbling leadership moments that we could face today. If you are actively influencing in your life today, you would realize that it would do you best to wake up each morning hungry. Not for some good old cereal. <laughs> Lucky Charms ain't going to do it, <laughs> right? But hungry for wisdom. I truly believe this, and I've seen this on the face of truly humble leaders. I sat with one over the last two weeks, and they broke down in my office, and they said to me, Nick, I don't know if I could do this anymore. And I said, oh, no, I know you can. And he said, no, 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 I'm being honest with you. I don't know if I could do this anymore. And I said, why? He goes, I just can't make the adjustment. This world is not like it used to be. Now, this person is north of 60 years old. He said, it's just not like it used to be. I can't take the disrespect. I can't take the lawlessness. I can't take the visual, just, just blatant, uh, uh, not lack of care for people. I don't want to lead anymore. And I'll be honest with you, I had no answer. <laughs> because I was so stinking humbled at what he said. I mean, I'm 35 years old. I consider myself halfway relevant to young people still. And halfway relevant to those of you north of 50. But I felt very, very useless in the moment. Because this man has led for many, many years. Has done many great things. Is leaving legacies that I only hope to leave one day. And I just looked at him and I just said, do you know that retirement with God is not an option? It's the only thing I had to offer him. I'm being honest. And he looked at me and he said, say that again. I said, retirement with God is not an option. Your 401k is meaningless in, in eternity. I said, but the deposits you've made for generations will never never come back void in Christ. And I said, thus, take yourself back 50 years ago, 40, year, 40 years ago when you, 40 something, 45 years ago when you began leading in this position. And I said, and I want you to remember that first love. And I said, why did you do what you've done for all these years? And he said, it's because of people. I wanted to see people be who God wanted them to be. And I just said, the mission hasn't changed in 45 years, but everything else has. 
And I said, so why don't we over the next few weeks try to figure out how you don't lose your sanity and what you're doing? How do we talk this out and walk this out? And how do we put good people around you? Why? Because Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. I'm here to speak to you today because, as I told you before, I feel like many of us should be kind of waving this flag that says, I'm living my best ordinary life now. Not trying to live my best life now. I'm trying to live my, most, my best ordinary life now. Why is that? Because the reality of leadership is that it is going to require you to be uncomfortable. It is, requ- is going to require you to go through pain. It is going to require you to fail. It is going to require you to walk down roads that you would choose no to if you could. But we have to figure out some way to walk these roads together. We have to figure out a way to take these roads with Jesus, knowing that regardless of how high the mountaintop or low the valley is, we are going to come out on the other side with him. First Peter 2.9 in the message translation says it this way. It's very literal. It's not one that I often use to study from, but sometimes when I feel like it makes a good point, I use it. First Peter 2.9, it says this way. You are not created to just get by with an average, unrewarding, or unfulfilling life. God created you to leave a mark, your mark, on this generation. John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you and to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. In a few different leadership circles, I've heard it said this way. The successful person has a habit of doing, of doing things that failures don't like to do. The reason why I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your story this morning, the reason why that song you sang, Lucy and the team, was so just prophetic and profound at the same time is because I think the way we see our journey most often, and we don't like to talk about failure, and this is one of those buttons, I'm telling you. This is one of those things today, right? We, I'm telling you, I work in schools, work with kids, work with parents, and if you say the F word, they get really mad, right? And I'm not talking about the four-letter one. I'm talking about failure. I'm sorry, fail, your kid failed. What? They failed. They got a zero on their homework. You know why? They didn't do it. Oh, like this is profound. You get a zero if you do nothing. No, 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 we laugh together. But I watch teachers give 50s when kids do nothing. Uh, what, what do you, what, how did they do that? Well, you know, they were there in class, kind of present and willing, present and willing. Did you see them get in the car this morning? <laughs> did, you, so did you know what it was like to get them out of bed? Present and willing, they deserve a zero getting out of bed and a zero in class right now. Present is not happening. <laughs> we laugh together now, but I pray to God that at the end of this message, somebody does something with me about what we're talking about today. Failure is something that is a life lesson, that is a part of the journey that we have to begin to grab hold of. The reason why is I think a lot of people, as they start to see things, right, they, they, they try to figure this out. Well, that person's just a little better than me, so I'm not going to go for that or do that. Or I'm not going to apply for that position because there's just too many people. It's like, man, we don't even believe in ourselves anymore. 
But we come in this place, and I say it this way, right? I'll repeat what I said to you. The successful person has the habit of doing things failures don't like to do. A lot of people say, how do I get better at what I do? How do I become a better this, a better that? How do I do these things currently that I'm doing better? You know what I think is the true definition and the difference between average and above average? I believe it's consistency. You watch most people in what they do. They're not that much better at you in what they do. You know why they're better than you and why they're above average? Because they do it more consistently than you do. They're able to repeat through discipline things that other people cannot repeat in the same manner, and that's what sets them apart. Put yourself in the shoe of a boss this morning. And you're trying to figure out who's going to get a promotion. And you're looking around, and, and this person, they do okay. They do well. They're not really a problem, but they do, they do their job okay, right? Then you look over, and you have this person, and they've clearly failed in their job, and they haven't maybe done the best. But my goodness, they are one of the most consistent people you've seen. They're on time to work. Their, their stuff is in on time. Their projects are tidy and neat. The, this and that. You just see everything lined up. I'm telling you right now, I'm giving the promotion to that person. Why? Because we cannot live in a place of mediocrity and expect supernatural blessings. You see, some of you want to play life safe, and I promise you, you're just going to stay in the middle. It's just not okay every day to wake up and accept what happens to you. Whatever happens this day, I'll kind of just deal with. Whatever's thrown my way, I'll kind of just manage. No, 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 no. God is saying, no, no, wait a minute. I have chosen you. You didn't choose me. Come on, John 15. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for. The verse is so important in understanding that we were chosen. Here's my fear inside of our church circles. Let's spin it back now to us. C.S. Lewis said it so well. He said, if you are continually stirred and fail to act, the time will come when you will be unable to act. I'll say it one more time. If you are continually stirred and you fail to act, the time will come when you are unable to act. This is the greatest discipline that plagues the church of today. You come to church. You go to Bible study. You have a great time with somebody on the phone having your, your, your Bible study together. You got your women's group somewhere, your men's group somewhere. You got your whoever groups everywhere, right? You are stirred by God to do something. You're stirred. This is so great. I love this. This is what we're going to do, right? But you don't act. You were stirred. You thought about it. It even almost happened, but it did not happen. You see, I want to challenge us out of this place of mediocrity into a place of making generational differences, church. We cannot use, play, use church as a place to be stirred and then maybe one out of every 12, 13, 14 months we do something about what we heard. I tell people all the time, and they may think I'm just being short at the altar or something. They say, Pastor Nick, you know, I want to do my devotions. Where should I start? I say, hey, listen, do me a favor. Go re-listen to the message I just preached. Take the verses out of them and study the fuller context of what I preached about. It's a great way to start your devotions. If you're looking for some way to do something, if you don't know how to study the word, if you're one of those that's just like, I'm going to drop the Bible and wherever it opens, I'm starting. Right? If that's you, do me a favor. We have practical resources online. 
Go to the sermons that we've preached here. Open one of them up. Write down the verses and go ahead and study them expansively. It is so important to your growth. But I love how C.S. Lewis put it this way, right? Fast forward, open your Bibles with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 will begin in verse 36. This is Jesus praying in Gethsemane. Starting in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. He said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took, the, he took Peter and Zebedee, two sons, James and John. He became anguished and distressed. He also told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39. He went on a little farther, bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Remember that verse, verse 41. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. See, we often wonder sometimes where people take quotes from. But C.S. Lewis, I don't know it directly because it wasn't involved where I found his quote, but I'm going to believe that in part he was quoting this scripture. The reality that Jesus would give us an assignment and we would fall asleep during that assignment, not realizing that the moment and the opportunity has passed us by. Jesus said it right to Peter himself. He said, go ahead, keep sleeping. You've missed what I wanted to speak to you about. He could have said, Peter, you failed. You did not achieve the goal of staying awake. <laughs> I asked you, I asked the rest of you to listen to my instruction because it was necessary. And I want to take you through our mind because many of you are rational people, right? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Put yourself with the rest of the disciples. Oh, well, he just said to kind of wait, right? No. No, no, he said stay awake and wait. He said pray and wait. He gave specific instructions, but we chose to listen to half of them. Come on now. You see, we don't realize that Jesus is trying to create a level of discipline inside of us. And even to the very moment he was about to be taken away, he took one last opportunity to teach a lesson to them. And he said it so powerfully this way. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, my son. The spirit is willing. You're going to be stirred to action many times, but very often you will not choose to be in action. You see, a lot of people, they want to make changes. There's this, this external excitement that's extinguished by flawed thinking. Well, God told me to make that adjustment in my life, but I kind of just made half of it. The average person, according to this one, says that 50% of people, I'm definitely the 51%. 
And we just kind of justify in our head why we did or we didn't make mistakes. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he went on trying to help us understand the severity. He went on trying to help us understand how real sin, how real this idea in our life that if we continue to live flawed, if we continue to choose the wrong things, that we are going to be, uh, we are susceptible, right? We are put under the authority of those things in Jesus' name. <coughs> Excuse me. Read with me in Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to go back to the passage here in Matthew 26, so you can keep your finger there. Verse 7 in Matthew 18. It says, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both hands of your feet, with both hands and your feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to it's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now for any of you teenagers in here, I just want to help you when I was 15, I thought I was supposed to go home and cut off something. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Got to help you out here. There is this word that you may have not been taught yet called hyperbole. <laughs> and so what I love about this specific passage in here is that Jesus is trying to get us to understand the extreme nature of sin in our life. He's trying to get us to wake up to realize that something in our life that does not represent the authority of God can cost us our eternity with him. Come on now. He wants us to realize that by allowing things that do not represent God to be existent in our life, that will cost us and can cost us the opportunity of communing with God for all the days of our life. Now, why is this so important? The reason it's important to begin to understand the severity of how these shortcomings should be dealt with is because Jesus said it to Peter in verse 41. He said, keep watch and pray. So Jesus, like a good teacher, he came back the second time now. He said, listen to me, I need you to understand here. I want you to keep watch and I want you to pray. He said it a little slower, a little clearer. Stay awake, man. Stay right here. Do what you need to. Now here's the problem, and this is what, like people want God to come down and do it all for them. Come on now. People want God to like place them where they need to be and then take their hand and write the thing they need to write and then the next thing, Lord, what do I got to do next? Okay, next thing. That's not how God is. He wants us to learn how to be obedient in the moment that we're in. And so he said to them, keep watch and pray. Verse 41, so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing but the body is weak. I always like to say it this way, failure changes you. Which way is it going to change you? Many people are defined by their failures. Many people have not grabbed the reality or the respect of what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. He was trying to help them understand something very simple. If you have an addiction, remove the things that are drawing you to that addiction from your life now. Don't wait, because it can cost you. Come on now. Come on. 
I, I, I don't think I could say it more simple than that. If there is something that is directly affecting your relationship with Christ, it is up to you. God said, recognize this and do what? Flee from sin. And so he gives us this, this hyperbole. He gives us this cutting off your arm, this gouging of your eye. He gives us this moment of helping us. You've got to get rid of what's costing you. You've got to get rid of it now. Yes, it's costing you now, but it could cost you so much more later. The realization of how great God is. But as I said, failure changes you. And I like to say it this way. The difference between average and above average, as I started to share with you before, is often found in a person's ability to do something consistently. I also like to put it this way. It's not that other people are that much better than you, right, as you keep going through this, right? It's not that people are much better. It's that they're able to recognize the same hole and not step in it again. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom is now taking that phrase I shared with you before and beginning to have this realization that I, 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 that one right there, yep, that's where I turned my ankle. Not doing that again, that hurt. Can't do it. But to be honest with you, if some of us are being real today, our attitudes, our adjustment on the same journey where we know that that pothole is. How many of you hit the same pothole on the way to work in the morning? I know I hit like five and I get angry when I hit them. Who's to blame? Me. Every, every day I drive, I'm like, somebody going to fix that hole? And I feel like God's looking at me like, why don't you drive around it, stupid? Like, <laughs> I know, I know, there's a lot of road here. <laughs> but isn't that a picture of who we are, church? Isn't that a picture of what happens so daily? I'll give you four quick instances. I'm going to close this in worship team. You can join me if you'd like. Four, four people that are significant in history, not necessarily Christian people, but four people that said uh, different quotes on failure in ways I thought would help you this morning. Henry Ford said, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. Albert Einstein, he said, success is failure in progress. Abraham Lincoln said it this way, my great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. Steven Spielberg, well-known director, film person said, even though I get older, what I do never gets old, and that's what I think keeps me hungry. I want to challenge you today in the area of failure. I truly believe that for most people, living a mediocre life is found in the acceptance of failure. It is okay for you to look at yourself and to continuously remind your flesh that if I continue to fail in this way, in this manner, it can cost me something. If we become acceptors of continuous failure, we already have failed somebody else. Because I always like to put it in simple terms and say either you're going to be an example or you're going to be an excuse for somebody. It's one of two things. Somebody's going to look at you and say, hey, I remember when, when, when that person did this, and man, was I encouraged. They, yeah, yeah, I, I do this because I saw them. Or the other way around. Oh, it's okay. Uh, Pastor Nick does that. You go, oh. You realize that you're either an example or you're an excuse. And I want to challenge you in that way this morning because I feel like failure is just a word that we don't talk about enough. It's a leadership position that we don't realize that in the midst of influencing that we have to allow God to help us see even what these great people say, that success is a failure in progress. However, as Abraham Lincoln indicated, his greatest concern, right, was not whether you fail, but whether you are content with your failure. 
And I really want to ask you that direct question today. Are you content in the areas that you are continuously failing in? Have you become numb to the places you make mistakes in? Have you accepted things because other people have accepted them as their bar? Or are you going to raise the bar in your spiritual life? Are you going to raise the bar with Christ? Are you going to invite him in and do what scripture says as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. I wanna leave you with this this morning. I love this in, in most of the circles of leadership accountability that I speak in. I shared it with our team recently and said it this way. People don't do what you expect, people do what you inspect. If you want real accountability in your life, let somebody look inside. And I'm not talking just anybody, I'm talking maybe it's your spouse. I'm talking that one person that's the true one person, that friend, that person that's closest to you. And if you don't have that person, you need to start praying for that person. Why? Because everybody needs to know that somebody's gonna ask them real questions in life. You're gonna say to them, how was your week? And not just hang up the phone. They're gonna say, hey, 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 what's going on with that? Have you addressed this? I'm telling you, there'd be less people going into eternity either way if we would do these things. If people knew that people cared, we'd have a lot more answers in this world. Failure is a reality, but we have to have the antidote. The antidote isn't just giving someone a trophy because they, were, they showed up. It's showing them how to go earn one themselves. Come on now. This week, do me a favor, show someone how to obtain a trophy and earn it as opposed to be given it. Show someone through your own life how to walk this out. Show someone how to take tangible steps so that even as I shared last week, we don't just repeat this vicious cycle that we get up, we eat, we go to bed. We get up, we work, we go to bed. We get up, we do, no, no, no. Someone's gotta end that vicious cycle and go ahead and put God in the places he needs to be today in Jesus' name. You received that this morning, church. Would you stand with me? I tell you what I like to say, and I'll close with it here. Your environment will determine your outcome. Your environment will determine your outcome. There's a side piece that you can take into people's lives this week. The reason I love Living Word Church, the reason why I love you guys, is because every week I know that there's people in here hungry for God like I am. I know there's people more hungry for God than I am in here. And I want to challenge you. Do me a favor. Don't just come in and out each and every Sunday. Go downstairs. Spend a few minutes. Say hello to somebody maybe you haven't met before. Why? Because no matter how big Living Word Church gets, I promise you the secret sauce inside of what happens here is people. Let's not get it twisted, amen? Relationships are real. People are real. And I want to encourage you. Men, go find a couple guys and say hello before you leave today. Ladies, go find some of the ladies. Say hello. Introduce yourself. Why? Because I promise you sometimes you don't realize the powerful eternal relationships that sit right around you that you haven't even said hello to. Amen? Let me pray for us as we go today. Father, I thank you. I thank you. As Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh is dead but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
And so, Father, we thank you right now that we have the mind of Christ, and we ask you this day, lead us. Take us to places, God, that we've never seen before. Lord, I pray that there would be a few people in this room, Lord, that would accept the challenge to no longer live mediocre lives. Lord, ones that continue to accept certain failures. But, God, I pray right now that you would give them, Lord, just give them a strength. Give them a portion of who you are, God, that they would run towards the cross this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those in here that are running hard with you. The ones who are standing obedient and willing and saying, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. I pray, God, that you would give them divine appointments this week. Lord, that you'd put people in our paths that we can influence for you. Ones that we can show your love and how great you are, God. Lord, we just thank you for how great you are. We thank you for how amazing you are. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room today that does not have a personal relationship with you, that they would not leave here without praying with someone, God. Lord, we thank you that the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you are Lord. We thank you, God, that you are Lord, that we have an eternal relationship with you in Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together and worship here at Living Word this morning. Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said. Amen, amen. Have a blessed Sunday, Living Word Church. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's message here at Living Word Church. Uh, if you're looking for a community, looking for a home church, we want to challenge you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1045 here in Union, New Jersey. We pray you have a blessed day in Jesus' name.